Hello everyone, this is Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting and you're listening to the Information Playground. Learn how to become safer in a world that grows more dangerous each and every day through common sense behavior, best practices, and education. The Information Playground is dedicated to helping you stay informed about changes in technology and especially issues of cybersecurity. Three to four companies a day on average report a data breach in America. It's estimated that over 10 per day are actually breached some know it and try to hide it. Others have no idea they've been breached. The average data breach runs into the millions of dollars. And for the small to mid-sized business, that means bankruptcy 64% of the time. The average breach isn't discovered for five to seven months, according to the Ponemon organization. 66% of data breaches took months, some even years, to discover. Technology is for everyone to enjoy. And we've all heard how much power is in our smartphones today, but with power comes responsibility. Join us on Mondays uh, from 8 to 9 a.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP.org if you're in the Northwest Indiana area, especially Valparaiso, Indiana. Uh, if you're there, you can also catch us at 103.1 FM. Or if you prefer on demand, you can catch our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, and several others. You can also catch the video version of the Information Playground on YouTube. Don't just sit passively by and be the victim. Start now to protect yourself. This show is underwritten by Ron Bush Consulting Incorporated, and you can visit our website at ronbushconsulting.com. Now I'd like to welcome our special guest today, Dave Will, who is founder and CEO of Prop Fuel. Good morning, Dave. Morning, Ron. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. And you? Good. Hey, Ron, are you a Spider-Man fan? Uh, somewhat. I kind of liked, uh, oh, what was the one, uh, oh, one of the middle ones where he hung upside side down and kissed uh, Kirsten, oh, whatever it you, is. you're a romantic, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, the, the reason I ask is because that quote in there, with great power comes great responsibility. It was probably like Roosevelt that actually said it, but it, I know it from the Spider-Man movie when the uncle is telling the kid, you know, when he's abusing his power anyway. So I, I thought of that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So how are you? I'm doing great. Doing you great. You sound great. You sound healthy. You sound strong. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. So if you would, tell the folks a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you are, how you got to be both, where you're at. Yeah. yeah. I'm, well, I'm, I'm no Spider-Man. I'll start there. <laughs> However, I, I, I'm a, a self-proclaimed entrepreneur. You know how we have these things that we identify ourselves as? Well, so here, here are the things I identify as. An entrepreneur, I'm a family man, I'm a runner, and I'm a sailor. I think that that's kind of the, those are the elements that I would characterize myself as. But uh, I, uh, I I live in New England uh, on the South Shore of Boston. I've got a, a family with three teenage boys now, uh, all of whom I'm grooming to be entrepreneurs. You know, and and if if well, it's it's sometimes hard to groom people to be entrepreneurs. But anyway, <laughs> um, I and I started a business. In, uh, when I was 30 years old, I uh, built that for about 14 years, sold that to a private equity uh, firm. And about three years ago, I started up another software company called PropFuel. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. Great, great. I, you know, I love that. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I've, I've started several businesses, I've sold one at a pretty good profit. Uh, still, still working a few of them. <laughs> I just what, what was the one you sold? Was it a? It, it, tell me about that. It was a record storage company. We did uh, imaging as well. So that's back in the day when converting from paper to digital was was new. And so um, it was. Uh, I can't give you the name of the company. It was absorbed by a, a larger company, and I'm under contract not to talk about. You can't even give the name of the company. Uh, it wouldn't be known to uh, it, most of America or the rest of the world. It would only now, Ron, be known. Ron, did you forget the name of the company? No, or? no. Okay, no. all right. I'll never forget the name of that company. That was a great. <laughs> that was a great one. So uh, you and I spoke before, and uh, we're going to get to Prop Fuel. I'm really eager to learn a lot about it. But we're talking about businesses and sales of of business. One that you sold, you were hacked. And since this uh, this program normally talks about cybersecurity, let's start there. What happened? 
So, uh, yeah, that, so we were, I think about nine years into the business and this is all grassroots. It's not funded. I think it took me, gosh, maybe six or seven years to hit a million in revenue. So this Mm -hmm. was not the kind of thing where it was right from the get go an overnight success. It was one of these things where I got fired from my job. I didn't feel like getting another job. So I started doing one thing and it morphed into another thing, which morphed into another thing. And I kept looking for opportunities, shift it and change it. And then it got to a point where it wasn't growing because I couldn't sell and execute and and um, so I hired a, a salesman. I already had an admin. And before you know it, I get a couple other account managers. And then we build out uh, a platform to support what we're doing. And, and it evolves into a software company. It wasn't my intent to build a software company from the get-go. But we had this, this really cool learning management system. Um, and I remember I'm an EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. And I remember this happened the 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 day I joined EO, like when you join EO entrepreneurs organization, you're by the way, a little plug. I do the podcast called EO 360 and it's an entrepreneurs organization podcast where we interview all these great um, entrepreneurs to hear their stories. But uh, so the day I joined EO and this is like somewhere around 10 years ago. Now they take you through this training program. It's, it's, it's called forum training. They teach you how to, uh, they kind of brainwash you to, to teach you how to think the way they think about sharing experiences, not giving advice and all that stuff. So I remember pulling into, um, pull into the parking lot of the building where I was doing this training, probably 7, 7.30 in the morning. And I got a call from who is my now partner in this business, PropFuel. But I got a call at the time uh, who was my CTO, um, um, young guy too at the time, pretty fresh out of Georgia Tech. And he he called me and said, listen, I think we have a problem. Um, I'm pretty sure we've been hacked and our credit card, the credit card numbers we have on file are have been compromised. I said, okay, so what are you saying? And he basically just repeated himself. Well, we've been hacked <laughs> in the credit cards. So uh, take you back now a couple months, about two months prior to that, I think we got a phone call. Our support person got a phone call. At this point, we're like, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 people big. And we got a phone call from, and we thought we were pretty compliant. Uh, we didn't know a heck of a lot about PCI compliance, credit card stuff. and um, But we thought, you know, without actually getting certified that we're PCI compliant, we thought we were following the rules to the best of our knowledge. And we do, to be honest, we didn't think about it that much. Mm-hmm. It was 10 years ago, too, when um, this is all evolving. And uh, so two months prior to this phone call from my, uh, my CTO, uh, we had a, a support call come in. Somebody said, hey, listen, I attended one of your um, sessions. We did online learning, virtual learning, so live learning for our clients. And shortly after, there were a whole bunch of charges to my credit card that didn't belong. I just thought you should know. I said, okay, that's interesting. What do you do about that, though? So we, we just took it as a one-off, put that aside. She told us, we heard it, said, okay interesting put it aside if one and done we're thinking okay it's just an outlier weird circumstance anything could have happened but then it happened again like a month later and i'm not sure if we acted the second time or if it took a third time before we dug in to try to really figure out what was going on so obviously uh cameron at that point decided that it would be worthwhile to dig in and poke around and figure out what's going on. And what he discovered was that for the past two or three months, and this is 10 years ago, so a lot of this is imprecise, but about for, for, for the past two or three months, somebody from Thailand, we had tracked it down to Thailand, had logged in as, they didn't even hack in, they just logged in as an administrator using somebody's password that they figured out. So they used the admin ID email and a password that they had set up. Now, we did not have very good password security set up at our company. People set up a password. We don't really care what it is and we don't care how often they change it. So that's, that's obviously a massive problem if that's what your company is doing. So the, the, um, 
the Vietnamese, did I say Vietnam? It was Vietnam, but in okay. v, the Vietnamese hackers at that point log in and they very quietly start tracking and pulling credit card information, which by the way is not PCI compliant if you're storing credit card information. We learned that. Needless to say, we call a lawyer. Well, we first patched it up, done. Like no more breach, the breach is done. So we cleaned it up very, very quickly. Immediately though, and forgive me if I'm going on too long, this is just coming back Not now. But immediately my thought was nine years of work and this is what brings me down. Like this is it. I really thought we were done, done. Like why would anybody stay with us? We're gonna get sued. Like all this stuff was going through my head and went through my head for about three weeks until we really started to have it under control. I thought we were done. And um, so I called my lawyer immediately and uh, all this before my first day of training at this, this, oh, that was a, no, I was a little distracted that morning. So I called my lawyer. He says, okay, first thing uh, you have, I, I don't know what the number is. Don't take, this is not legal advice right now. This is bad recollection of something that happened 10 years ago. But he said something like, okay, you have 48 hours to, uh, to communicate this to uh, the authorities and to, um, uh, and to all the uh, individuals that were affected by it. So we spent a lot of that time working with the FBI, working with, and that's really just letting them know what happened. And there's nothing, very, very little they can do. We had to uh, reach out to PCI and have them do an investigation. Uh, we communicated to all of our uh, customers that were, the individuals that were affected. And then for the next two months, one by one, there were like 90 customers affected by this. And we called each customer. And by the way, just to clarify, the customer is not the credit card that was hacked. It's the customer's customer whose credit card was hacked. We were managing events for customers and it was their customers whose credit cards were hacked, which is even worse. Mm -hmm. So we called our customer and said, listen, all the people that attended your event um, that we managed for you, their credit cards were at, at, were at risk. We've communicated to them. And so some of them were very understanding. Some of them were furious. I think out of the 90, we lost one customer. Um, we dealt with some interesting competitive um, attacks. One of our competitors in the market wrote a um, rather scathing um, article uh, about uh, us and and uh, and how great they were <laughs> because they were <laughs> clearly better at not getting hacked than us. And uh, that that's a whole different story altogether. Uh, and so needless to say, uh, we walked away from this thing after about three or four months of conversations with customers, $60,000 in fines and legal fees, and a whole heck of a lot of stressful time wasted. Uh, and we pulled through and we were fine. And then I Excellent. sold the business uh, five years later for a healthy sum of money. So um, ultimately, we, we made it through. Um, without any ma major ramifications, but good grief, that was scary. Oh, gosh. Now, you're going back a while, so, uh, you know, you may think that um, things are entirely different today, and I deal, uh, I deal mostly with SMBs. I have a few large clients, but most of them are, are, are in the, the, the small to mid-sized business market, and uh, I've got to tell you that I don't see a whole lot of difference between 15 years ago or 10 years ago for you. Isn't that and, amazing? Like how do people not have uh, password security set up? How do they not have these alerts if something's going on in the platform that shouldn't be have? Like, here's one thing. We did not have a lot of international attendees at our events. It was really a US based program. How did we not have an alert that there was somebody from Vietnam logging in? Like that's, that's unusual. It's unusual behavior. So anyway, yeah, it's shocking to me that things haven't changed in 10 years. There's several reasons. One is most people are in a state of denial. Uh, they, they just don't think it can happen to them. It's going to be somebody else. I, in my presentations and when I speak at, at groups, I tell them that, or conferences, I tell them that it, <laughs> to you, 
to, uh, it's the other guy. To everybody else, you're the other guy. It, it, it is all of us. Uh, Mueller, uh, Bob Mueller, when he was uh, director of the FBI over a decade ago, said there's only two kinds of businesses in America, those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked. He was right then and he's right now. An easy way that would, would tell you that, and I'm going to address businesses today or any organization, is to have a web access firewall. And it will notify you. You can, you can block all countries if you want. Obviously, you're not going to block all of them. But if you're located in the U.S., maybe you're going to block everybody except the U.S. You can allow them not to, uh, you can allow them to see your website, but not to post anything on your website. And as far as password protection goes, there are things you can do. But a simple, a simple thing is to have a policy in, in every business. If you're in uh, financial services, if you're in HIPAA, you're required to have an information security policy and procedure. Every organization on the planet should have one. Everyone should, because then you spell out what the, not only what the risks are and how you mitigate those risks, you also uh, iron out policies like a password protection policy. I, I can tell you some of the worst passwords I've encountered were from IT directors. IT directors. If anyone should know better, I'd never heard of QWERTY as a, as a, uh, a password. First time I ever saw that was an IT director was using that. And Thycotic, there's a, there's a cybersecurity company called Thycotic. It's like Psychotic except with TH. And they specialize in uh, privileged accounts. Those are the IT department accounts. Those are the ones that give all the, the, uh, the permissions to, to anyone that has that profile. They are the easiest to hack into because most IT directors, CIOs, all of that, they don't think it's going to happen to them. So they use let me in and password one, two, three, and all the rest of them. The, 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 the real password protective stuff, well, that's for the rank and file. In, in, in actual honesty, it isn't for the rank and file. It's for everyone. And everyone needs to know this stuff. I you know, also, I, I just learned uh, yesterday, the day before, a, a friend of mine, we were talking about this on a run. I, I told you one, one way I identify myself is a runner. And, and so on a run where I do a lot of my therapy and, and uh, I learn news on my runs. Anyway, I learned that two-way authentication is not necessarily that, uh, that good because there's a whole... Uh, um, process for hackers to mimic your phone and so when you get your text message with a special pin that's not actually foolproof anymore and so there's apps out there I couldn't tell you one but uh, actually I think there is one that he told me about called Auth authentic uh, Authen or something like that there's there's a several authenticator apps uh, multi-factor authentication is Let's start there. There is nothing hack proof. There's no company hack proof. There's no app hack proof. There's no tool hack proof. The NSA gets hacked at least once or twice a year. That's the cream of the crop. If they can't avoid being hacked, then the rest of us are going to have to, to take certain security precautions. Uh, and, and that's the key to it. There are hackers of every stripe, every walk of life. There, there are new ones. They're called noobs or they're called script kiddies or what have you. They're just getting started. There are some that are in apprenticeships around the planet uh, that they're working for a, a cyber criminal organization and they're working their, their, uh, their way up the, the ladder. Uh, there's lone wolves and there's uh, terrorists and there's nation state attacks. I mean, you name it, they're all over the place. So, while just a strong password will keep out quite a few, it's not going to keep out everyone. Using multi-factor authentication won't keep out everyone, but it'll keep out a good number of. Mm -hmm. the, the, the more precautions you take, the, better, the more secure you are. Part of the, the, the key is to not get on the wrong guy's radar screen. If you get on the wrong guy's radar screen, there isn't anything you can do to stay safe. But most of us aren't there. Most of us are not Bank of America. We're not... Uh, uh, the NSA. We're not the FBI. We don't have nation states actively pursuing us at the top or at the cream of the crop level. We may have nation states after us like Sony would never have thought they could have been hacked or be a target, but they were. Now, in their case, they had that, uh, uh, that uh, film coming out. That the interview. Yeah. One but, of the greatest films of all time. That in uh, This is the End, which is basically the interview with a different um, 
different location, I think. <laughs> Same movie, just a, yeah. different jokes. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess the point is that um, there isn't anything you can do to be 100%, but there's tons of things you can do to, to stay safe from 90% or 95% even of the hackers that are going to come after us. And, and most of them are pretty simple. Uh, password management, you talked about already. Uh, using VPNs, virtual private networks, is another, uh, another thing to do. Uh, having good, um, let's see, updates, let's get that. All of that's free, it's gonna cost time. But those three things uh, can be free. Now you can buy VPNs or you can go with free ones. Again, it's not gonna save you from getting hacked from if you're on the wrong guy's radar screen, but a good 90% of the hackers aren't going to be able to get through that. Using two-factor or multi-factor authentication when you go to your bank or uh, any credit card, any of those kind of websites, all of them, to my knowledge, have them now, uh, use them. And some of them require you to use them. You don't get a choice. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, are they going to be foolproof? No. I, I tell you one thing, and I just got this last thing, and we'll move on to another subject if you like, but that the competitor that took advantage of that hack, that is so distasteful to me. Yeah, I know. I know. That, I, I, that, it surprised me because we have a, uh, in, so I work with associations. I still do. Back then, it was learning management systems specifically designed to support association activity. Um, and it's a small, uh, it, it's not a big ocean. You know, there's a small pond sort of space that we work in. And we all know each other pretty well. Same conferences, same people. We see each other all the time. So we had a pretty friendly relationship with all of them. And so when I saw that come out, it really caught me off guard. And I remember picking up the phone. His name was Rick. And I remember picking up the phone and saying, Rick, what is this? Why, why would you do something like this in a time when, when we're down? Why would you kick us when we're down like this just to win mm -hmm. a little business? And he says, Dave, I, I, when I see an opportunity, I'm going to take advantage of it. And I said, all right, I guess you just set the tone for how we're working together. So needless to say, we didn't go after him or anything, but it's, it's just, it was tasteless to your point. And, and I wanted to call him out on it at the very least, just CEO entrepreneur to entrepreneur, just say, you know, that was, that's, that's low. Well, you know, there's an old saying, I don't know if it's Shakespeare who it is, but he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Well, um, coincidentally, he reached out to me. There's a certain point where he wanted to get out of the business and he reached out to me uh, to see if we were interested in buying his business. And I politely declined. And uh, it wasn't long before he just walked away from his business, unfortunately, for his customers. Hmm. Couldn't find a suitor. So uh, yeah, karma. Well, Karma's a bitch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Character uh, always comes into play, whether you're on top of the heap or think you are, or yeah. you're at the bottom of the heap. The character's what counts. And so... I don't have any uh, sympathy for him. Uh, so let's move on. You sold that business. Yep. Uh, how, did, how did that come about? Uh, did the hack play into your decision to sell? No, 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 no. Totally unrelated. The hack was just a, a big hurdle for us to get over. Um, a little detour and a hurdle, I would say. No, we, we um, I say we because uh, uh, there was a time through the course of the 14 years, I went through two partners. Um, one that I started it with a couple years in, I wanted him to go full-time with me or not at all because he wasn't full-time. And I ended up buying him out for, gosh, I, I want to say like $17,000 plus a laptop. <laughs> that, was, that was like three years in. And then, uh, um, and then in 2010, we more or less acquired another company. It was similar in size to us, but it was a stock acquisition. So it was more like a merger. And so I was the majority shareholder, but my partner uh, was, he, we did things together for a long, long time. And then at a certain point, he wanted out. I think he was still in the business when we got hacked and then he wanted out. So I bought him out. And now at this point, I'm 100% a shareholder. I think it's like 12 years in. And uh, uh, we, we, my executive team and I, and I put a lot of stock into my executive team and, and I, I gave them what we called phantom shares. So if the time comes that we ever sold, they would get a, a piece of the pie. 
and we built a five-year plan. You know, we used much like traction or, or um, scaling up with Vern Harnish. Uh, we used something similar to that at the time to model out our business to what it would look like in five years and then back into it to figure out, okay, what do we have to do this quarter to get us to where we want to be? But before we could even get there, we started to get phone calls. It's about two years into the plan. We started to get phone calls from private equity. Um, some of them were just garbage and, and I wasn't looking for it. It just happened to be, we were getting to be of a size where we were on the radar. And, and also private equity is starting to discover the association space. And so we were in a space, I, I, we were the leaders in a space um, we had a very strong company culture, so we had a very good reputation among in the industry. I think five years earlier, we had handled the, the breach really, really well. So anyone that had been with us uh, had a great deal of respect. Again, remember, out of the 90 or so customers, we only lost one. And so to go through something like that with a, with a partner, a customer of ours, is uh, it's it, it cements the relationship. So mm -hmm. we, did, we, we handled that well and it worked out and worked in our favor. So I had ultimately two private equity firms I started to entertain ideas from. I wasn't sure if we were ready to sell because we had a bright uh, picture of the future. But what it came down to at the end of the day was two variables. One is um, we, were, we were at a point in the business where I knew it would do so much better with um, a bigger picture, uh, funding, um, more opportunities to integrate the platform into things and like just more opportunity, kind of like sending your kid off to college. Um, and the other variable was the money. So on one hand, it's like, is this good for our employees, for our customers and for the company as a whole? Is it going to thrive through an acquisition or is it going to get kind of squashed and fizzled. That's important, of course. And then the other half was, it was uh, really, really hard uh, not to be wooed by that kind of money. So, and actually there's a third variable, 14 years in, like, I don't know, I'm ready for a new chapter. So you got, you got the, the intrigue to maybe I could go off and do something else everything's really looking good for the employees and the customers, regardless of which, which um, private equity firm we ended up going with. And then the third thing was the money was just uh, really awesome to, to imagine in your bank account. So um, yeah, so it, it was a really tumultuous six month period of going from getting the letter of intent all the way to closing. We got the letter of intent, I think in October, um, they they thought they'd have it done by Thanksgiving. So uh, this is a terrible story. But a week before Thanksgiving, I said, you know what? We're going to have this done next week. I'm going to let people know. I'm going to let them know what's happening internally. One by one, 40 employees or 40, 45 employees or so, one by one, I had this conversation. Of course, my executive team, my accountant already knew. Um, my, I mean, my uh, internal financial person, whatever we called her. Um, can't remember the title, but Tara already knew about this. And, but one by one, I told everybody it was fear and, and all the irregular emotions. Wouldn't you know, this thing got delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed to the point where all of a sudden we, I got a phone call saying, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to make this happen because of X, Y, and Z. It's, again, more, more conversation. As soon as we said, okay, well, we're off the table then, right? We're free and clear. Then they said, wait, actually, we think we can make this work. And so we ended up closing by, uh, I think it was February 13 that we closed. So October to February. So that's October, November, December, January, February. So it's only four months, but still, it's a stressful and tumultuous four months. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I've got two more years to go on my, uh, on my contract that I sold under. So I'm not going to talk about mine, but I went through a similar thing uh, where right at the end, you know, you get enough attorneys involved uh, and you can ruin just about anything you want. And, uh, you know, I, that's a cheap shot at attorneys, but they had attorneys. And by the end, I had attorneys. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, uh, 
you wonder, did I do the right thing? Did I, did I go the right direction? Did I choose the right person? At the end of the day, they treated me with utmost honesty and, um, and showed great character, and I did the same. But there was a period of time where, I, like you, I'm wondering, well, they're questioning this and they're questioning that, and, and they, think, they don't know if they can do it now. And, they, and I, I did the same thing. What both of us did, they teach you to do in sales. I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to guess you didn't realize what you were doing. I didn't either. I just said, well, it doesn't look like this is going to go through. Maybe we should. Oh, I knew exactly what I was doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was basically, they wanted their cake and eat it too. At one point they said, okay, we can't do it right now, but we want you to wait. And I said, yeah, no, you you better put a ring on it. That's what I said. (laughs) So Uh no, it was, you know, in hindsight, it was kind of fun, but because there was so much on the line, it was, it was really stressful. Lawyers are great, actually. Um, in fact, well, they're helping my, you. Yes, they are. <laughs> my attorney uh, is an active part and he's on my board and a minority shareholder. A, a tiny, he owns a little piece of my current company, PropFuel, because I have so much respect for him and I want him to be a part of, of the evolution. So yeah, that's, I was very, very pleased and he's become a good friend of mine, not to mention a great advisor. Well, that's great. I, you know, my attorneys, I, I respect and admire as well. Their attorneys, I didn't think too highly of when I thought the deal was going south. Different, it all, you know, perspective uh, uh, determines quite a bit, I guess. Oh, there's, there's so much we could talk about here, all the way from like the marrying the company into the acquiring company, because uh, we were a bolt-on for a bigger company. The private equity firm owned a, a suite of products, and we were a bolt-on to that, to the bigger picture. And so like the integration of the cultures, the leadership, uh, how I fit in. Then, at, you know, at one point, there, there's this thing called, a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like uh, it, they hold it in escrow in case something happens, like you get sued. Okay. Well, wouldn't you know, about uh, 14 months into the 18-month window, I got a call from them saying, well, guess what? you're getting sued by, by, or there's a trademark uh, that some, or a copyright, I'm not sure what it was. I think it was a trademark. Some internet troll basically said our login process was, it's very much like getting hacked actually. Yeah. Said our login process was uh, patented um, and uh, they wanted to pay out of $160,000. And my attorney, <laughs> so, so the, the acquiring company came back to us and said, what do you want to do? And I said, tell you what, let my attorney take care of this. I, I don't know what to do, but I have faith in him. If this falls on my shoulders, let my attorney take care of it. So he called up this, the lawyer from this internet troll, this patent troll. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a very common, um, very unethical practice yeah. of coming up with an extremely general patent and then going after a bunch of people, regardless of whether or not they actually infringed on the patent, they're gonna settle because nobody wants to go to court because it just costs too much. So they said, we want $160,000 from you. My attorney called them up and said, tell you what, you know this is unethical, you know what you're doing, we'll give you 3,000 and we'll call it a day. $3,000, so it went from 160 to three. Now what he's doing is just seeing if they're willing to play. Hmm. So if they bite, if they nibble, we're good we're fine. They said, okay, tell you what, we'll bring it down to 60,000. So right, right away, they wipe a hundred thousand. And at that moment he knew he had them. I think we got away with like $12,000 in, in settlement and we we're done. But uh, <laughs> that, that was entertaining and a little wow. stressful too. I imagine. I imagine. Yeah. That, but I that mean, very, that's very, very much like getting hacked. It's, yeah. I felt like I was getting mugged. I mean, it really, really was very, very much like getting mugged on the internet. The internet has opened up all this kind of stuff. Squatters who will buy up uh, websites that that maybe it would make sense for you to own that name, but you haven't thought of it yet. So they'll buy a, a, a website with that name. And now when you want to do it, you've got to buy it. Uh, Google, which actually it was, it was a little different. Uh, uh, an employee of Google had uh, uh, watched the, the, you know, you've got to renew those domains every few years, uh, had watched google.com and it became available. They just simply forgot to, uh, uh, to renew the domain. So he bought it 
and then advised them what had happened. Now, fortunately, he liked Google. Google, I think he would, might have still been employed for him, and said, "Just pay me what I paid to buy this thing, and it's yours." That doesn't usually happen. That's uh, it's usually people do that have have a reason for it, mm-hmm. and that's because they want to scam you out. As, uh, it's not really a scam because I, I guess it's legal, but like you said, it's not ethical. They yeah. want to get as much money out of you as they can. I want to take a quick break. Station identification, just remind people who they're listening to, and uh, and then we'll come back uh, to this. Everyone, you're listening to uh, the Information Playground. Uh, once again, you can catch us on Monday mornings at nine or 8 a.m. on Central Time or Friday afternoons at 1 p.m. if you're uh, local in uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, 103.1 FM or WVLP.org. Uh, you can also find us on demand at, at most of the, the podcasting platforms, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google all come to mind, but there's quite a few others. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube under the Information Playground channel. If, you're, uh, if you've got comments, questions, thoughts uh, on, uh, on the, the program, the Information Playground, contact me. My name is Ron Bush. You can find ronbushconsulting.com. Send me an email, ron at ronbushconsulting.com. Ron Bush Consulting, by the way, does uh, uh, consulting for organizations. Um, We help uh, go in and do risk assessments, do information security policies and procedures, and basically educate businesses, employee training, and how to stay safe and protect their, their customers, their clients. So with that, our special guest today is Dave Will. Dave, if you would, tell folks how to, uh, how to reach you if they've got questions. Yeah, by all means. Uh, the, the best way is to reach me through our company, um, company email, dave at propfuel.com. That's P-R-O-P-F-U-E-L.com, www.propfuel.com. Uh, that's the best way to reach me. Excellent, excellent. So that's an interesting name. What is PropFuel.com? How did you come up with the name and, uh, and what's the story? Tell me all yeah, so PropFuel is a way of, it, it's a feedback automation platform and it's a way, and it's more just like most businesses, more from, you know, the day we started this thing three and a, yeah, three and a half years ago, um, almost three and a half years ago, it's, it, it wasn't at all what it is today. And I don't, I don't know if that's true with, all companies certainly is true with my companies that you have an idea and you pursue it and it over time it just more you follow you follow your nose you follow demand you follow the market and it turns into something else so that's what we did but Propule is a feedback automation platform designed to capture sentiment data for uh, organ constituents in an organization and so there's varying kinds of organizations for a business uh, constituents consist of employees so employee engagement capturing feedback on a regular basis from employees to get a feeling for where their pulse is and uh, capturing feedback from customers capturing feedback from partners for uh, we work with a lot of associations because that's where my background is so associations constantly want to be capturing feedback from members they have, you know, whether it's 500 or, or 50,000 members, they need to get an understanding for where their head's at. Now, here's the interesting thing about um, data and feedback. Most data is transactional and behavioral. So we have all these great systems for tracking when people do things, what they did, who did it, but we don't have very good ways of identifying how they're feeling. What is their sentiment at the time, at different points throughout the member, throughout the customer journey, throughout the life cycle of the customer, right? So our platform is designed to capture that sentiment data, which by the way, everybody knows behavior is driven by sentiment. Behavior is not driven by, 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 uh, these transactional things. It's sentiment that makes people do things. It's, it's the feelings that drive people to do things in most cases. So uh, our platform is designed to track that information so that we can make better decisions in our businesses um, uh, utilizing it. And here's the really cool thing. It's a system of action. And I like that phrase. And there's a lot of them out there. What that means is it doesn't just capture information, but with the information that has workflows designed to make it do things. 
Excellent, excellent. That's what PropFuel so, is all about. Feedback automation. You know what it is? Feedback automation platform. We came up with that name based on marketing automation. And it is to, uh, to feedback uh, what email used to be to marketing automation. So you think feedback? I'll just send out a survey. Well, that's kind of like the equivalent of the old school email. Mm -hmm. There's much better ways to do it. And that's what PropFuel is. Feedback automation. So, um, first off, where did you get the idea for this? You said you've got background and you mentioned uh, the earlier company, of course, in associations. How did you get started? Is, did you start out in administration at, at an association? Is that how you got started? Or how no, started? no, no, no. Like I said, we morphed into things, you know, the, uh, so there's, the, the way we got into this propule thing, the feedback piece is actually capturing so my last company I was big on culture I mentioned culture and so I really really wanted employee feedback I wanted employees to tell me on a regular basis what was going on with them how they were feeling about things and so I sent out a, a set of questions a very short set of questions like three questions every week and I had all our employees send that to me in a very discombobulated sort of way. It was not an efficient system, but it was a system where I got their feedback and we, we, including recognition for each other. So there's recognition questions. I had that come in every week. And so the idea started there capturing feedback internally, and then it morphed into capturing feedback externally. And then it morphed beyond that into creating actions based on how people answer questions. So that's, that's where the feedback Thing came from the association thing that was just we, we followed our nose and and you know in the my original business it started with creating a a product that uh, was working for we kind of slipped into working for this in a, a user group and the user group we created a design for them and then it morphed into a bigger user group working with Walmart suppliers. And so we weren't actually getting paid by Walmart, but we're getting paid by all the Walmart suppliers for providing them with educational content around how to sell to Walmart. And then we, we realized, well, wait a minute, this is kind of like a member-based organization. So then we, it just, we followed our nose. Yeah. It just morphed yeah. into working with associations. So when we found associations, we really found our product market fit. So that's what it is. It's all about figuring out, for us, figuring out what do you have that eventually brings you into a nice little niche so you can tell a story to a very specific group of people and provide them with a high value service or product. And that's product market fit. And that's what, that's what we did. Took a little while. Yeah. Well, and it's taken a little does. while for prop fuel too. So, um, how many, uh, how do you build your clients? Do you, do you, uh, you know, I, I'm trying, so I, in my business, I do the, I do the consulting side. Then I do the MSP side. And the third leg of the business is the public speaking side. I cannot reach enough people to educate them. Uh, and I've taught in universities, 30 people at a, at a whack or 20 people at a whack, not enough speaking to company employees. I might get lucky and have one to 500 but still, it's, it's a limited environment. So uh, a year ago, I decided that uh, I wanted to expand into keynote speaking because associations, mm -hmm. um, some of them are huge. And it'd be nice to have that big of a, a market, knowing that my education efforts now will exceed what I can do podcasting probably. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Some podcasters get a million downloads a month. I'm not there yet. But, but speaking to people publicly, I can create awareness, I can create a, a, an idea of security. When, when I look at your, your business, now you're, you're dealing with associations, I, I assume of every stripe, every industry and yeah, um, that's right. whatever. So how do you, I know how I, how I market me and how I get into uh, uh, certain venues. How do you do it? I mean, it's a completely different ball game for you. Well, but it's all the same. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing speaking engagements as well. Any opportunity I get to get myself in front of a crowd of 20 to 200, I, I do. Um, unfortunately, uh, we're recording this at the time of this COVID-19 thing, yes. so, which is really, really hard in associations. We have five conferences. Um, I'm looking at a list of my, on my wall and uh, looking at that list, one's been moved 
uh, and I see one, two, three, four at risk of not happening, and uh, one is really questionable. So this is really hurting the associations, and it's it's going to hurt our lead opportunities too. Because I speak at some of these conferences, we sponsor some of the conferences where we get leads. Um, so those those two channels are going to be. Uh, we, we get a lot off of speaking and sponsoring at conferences. We do a lot of webinars. I actually found that I think webinars, as old school as it is, it's, a, it's still one of the best lead gen tools for us. And especially when we do a webinar with a partner. Doing a webinar on our own by ourselves is not that great because then we only get our audience. But when you invite a partner into it, especially a partner with a, a, a big reach, now you're getting in front of all their customers. So that's that's something I find really valuable. We nurture a lot of the leads that we've brought in over the years. So people that weren't necessarily ready to buy two years ago or a year ago or six months ago, we just keep them in the loop with regular Friday updates and blog posts that I write. And then uh, something we started doing, we use outreach.io. .io? I think it's outreach.io, but outreach is a great cold outreach platform that we use. And so we, we, uh, we, we subscribe to databases where we can access um, lists of our target audience. And then one by one, we take them and we put them in this cold outreach platform, which takes us through a drip campaign to reach out to prospects. So uh, what we don't do is ads. We don't do a lot of social media um, promotion. Uh, we post stuff on social media, but we don't buy digital ads. We tried that. I think I dumped like 30 grand into it at one point when we didn't have a product market fit and it just evaporated. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it would work now, but I'm a little gun shy. Um, so that's what we do. It, there's no secrets. It's the same stuff you're doing. I mean, if you have any secrets, man, I'd love to know what they are. <laughs> it seems to me like this, that's the, that, that in a lot of the pitches we get, a lot of the emails you get are, Hey, boost your sales, do, yeah. do this and you'll win more business. I call BS on that because I think a lot of it is just good old fashioned grinding them out. I couldn't agree more. I, I I get those, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, you get the same. And I, oh, I you God, I hate the LinkedIn stuff. I can't stand yeah. it. In fact, I refuse to do it. If somebody on my team has a strategy and they want to try it, I'm not going to shoot them down. I will. I did it at one point, the LinkedIn messaging. I will not do it. Yeah, I, I won't either. But unfortunately, I get what I will do is I will announce. In fact, I'll do it for this uh uh, this video today, I will uh, I will mm -hmm. announce it on LinkedIn that we've done it. Sure, yeah, it's and great for for publishing it. stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. We wrote this great um, uh, ebook. I've got a copy of it right here. We we put a lot. In fact, that's something we do quite a bit to drive leads too. Is we'll put a piece out there and say, hey, here's a sixty page ebook we wrote on what we call Voice of the Member, specifically for member based organizations. And it's, it's a book all about capturing sentiment from uh, your constituents. It's a, it has a lot of best practices. Naturally, we're doing some selling in it too, but there's some really, really good information. So like your podcasts and like all your promotional pieces, I mean, there's good educational content in there that also brings in leads. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm kind of, we're kind of at that point Let's see, we've got uh, another 10, 12 minutes. Let me just remind people you're listening to the Information Playground. I'm Ron Bush, and my, uh, my guest today is Dave Will, founder and CEO of PropFuel. What haven't we talked about that we should? What well, I want to know, Ron, have you ever been hacked? No, no, thank God I have not. That doesn't mean I can't be. It also doesn't mean that tomorrow I won't be. Uh, but did, up to did now. you ever hack when you were younger? I mean, getting no. into this kind of business, you meet a lot of guys in your kind of business and they were hackers when they were young. They, they, they grew up a little matured and now they use their powers for good. Going well, back to the Spider-Man reference. You know, I also, uh, I also uh, speak at universities uh, as well as I have taught in the past. I'm not teaching right wow, now. Wow, wicked smart, as they say here in Boston. <laughs> wicked smart, Ron. But all that to say, the, the audience that I'm usually addressing in that environment 
uh, many of them are hackers. Some of them are black hat, some of them are white hat. Difference, uh, you probably know the difference, but for the audience, black hat hacker is in it for himself. He's going to either uh, uh, maliciously attack you or he's going to, uh, usually for money, but not always, uh, or uh, he will intend to get something out of it. He may destroy your, your data just because he wants to or because he, he, he's using you as a learning experience or a step up. Uh, vandalism is one of those uh, crimes that we have in the, in the physical world that is hard to understand. It's, I don't want it, but I don't want you to have it either. There's a lot of that that happens in the hacker world as well. So um, all that to say, I would say probably 80%, maybe 90% of the hacking that happens with black hat hackers is, is going to be for money, but not all of it. You've got hacktivists that are in it. They, they have uh, what they would term principles. So they don't like what you're doing. They hate banks. So they hit attack banking industry. They hate uh, uh, healthcare or hospitals. So they attack them. There's that kind of stuff. It's rare in comparison to the money, but it's there. And it, used to be bigger, actually. Uh, the group Anonymous uh, probably popularized that, that, uh, that type of hacking more than anyone else. But I, I do hit them. Uh, white hat hackers are going to do it uh, for the benefit of, of everyone else. So they'll report to Microsoft, this is a bug I found, you need to fix it, or they'll report to Apple or, or what have you. So there's a lot of that. Uh, those, uh, those larger corporations, Adobe, pay a bounty. It's called a, a bounty. And, uh, and so you can get anywhere from 500 bucks for everything you report to up into the thousands. So Ron, what, uh, what's the lowest hanging fruit out there, would you say, for, for businesses that want to protect themselves? What's the easiest thing that drives the greatest return for, uh, to prevent yourself from getting hacked? The, the first three things I already said, uh, password management, uh, VPNs, updating, if you haven't up, if you don't stay up to date on your apps, uh, your your applications, your software, as well as your firmware, your router gets an update at least once a year. Anything that's been resolved is still a a, a risk for you because you haven't patched it. And we've seen that with the NotPetya virus, the uh, uh, in fact all the major viruses, uh, the one that took down Equifax, that was an Apache. Uh, they used Apache servers. That patch had been out for two or three months. They just hadn't applied the patch. And when when the right hacker came along and, and attacked that Apache server, without that that uh, that patch being applied, he was able to take him down. And and uh, wow, wow. And, and so so you, I I understand the password thing. I understand the um uh the st keeping your software updated. The patches. The one I don't understand is the VPN. I mean, the virtual private network, right? I, right? I remember VPNs when I was working in industry 20 years ago. But like, what's a small business going to do with a VPN? What, I so don't VPNs, even understand what it is for a small VPNs business. VPNs encrypt your, your transmission. It also allows you to use another company's servers that specialize just in that. So the, the transmission will be encrypted, which, again, isn't impossible to hack. It's just usually not worth the trouble. In, in all of this, the game is to, to make it more difficult for a, a hacker to hack you so that he goes somewhere else. And, and that's not that hard to do. The VPN will encrypt your transmission. It's like a tunnel through the internet. It's hard to find. You're not, they're, if they're looking for you in Boston, well, they're not gonna find you in Boston if you've hooked to Los Angeles or mm -hmm. you've hooked to, to uh, Chicago or Dallas or somewhere else. So there's that advantage. Uh, depending on the company that you go with, you may experience some slowness, but you can offset that usually by paying for a VPN uh, connection. If you're an individual, you're going to spend uh, 30 to 50 bucks a year. Most of this stuff is really cheap. 30 to $50 a year, and you can have a, a number of devices. Some of them are unlimited. Some of them are, are five devices, but Still, it's really cheap to do. The same with password management. You go with LastPass or, or uh, RoboForm or Dashlane, any of those. You're, you're spending about five or 50 bucks a year again. Uh, and, and you've got your, all your passwords protected. Don't use the same passwords. Uh, that's how they get that, that password to your, uh, uh, to your website administrator that they guessed. 
and most hackers that are in the, the, the business of, of hacking that way, they've got ideas how to do that. A little social engineering or a little research. They know who your wife is when you got married. They know your, your anniversary date, your children's names, their birth dates. None of that stuff's hard to find. If you use your anniversary date and your wife's name as your password, they're in in seconds. Uh, it, 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 it's just, it's a world that all of this stuff is readily available and it's readily available for free to the hacker, to the guy that wants to do something. And, and you and I don't think that way. Well, I, I probably do a little more than you, but, but most of us don't think that way. And so uh, we're amazed when it happens to us. The same thing, uh, there's several great resources, several books uh, going back to 2014, I think, uh, Mark Goodman's uh, Future Crimes, an excellent resource, which gives out, uh, kind of explains how all this stuff works together. He goes from cybercrime, nation state attacks, all kinds of stuff. It's an excellent book. Anything by Bruce Schneier, and I think that's S-C-H-N-E-I-R. There may be an N in there, maybe there's not, don't remember. But his uh, Data and Goliath is an excellent resource in there. And there's other books. Uh, you've got uh, Kevin Mitnick. He's he's a guy that got caught hacking back in the 90s, I believe, and did his time. The FBI brought him down, did his time in prison. Now he's uh, he's an, a consultant with No Before, which is an organization that uh, most banks that I'm familiar with use but everybody should use. It's, it's basically learning behavior. So know before will send you emails that will be ransomware or uh, uh, there'll be some sort of Trojan, some sort of virus that once you click on it, instead of you being infected, it will pop up and say, you just did this, uh, you just clicked on this email, you should have known this. Here's the educational materials that'll teach you not to do that again. And you can go from 10 minutes to a half hour or hours to training your employees and how to do that. I don't, uh, I don't have prices. None of these companies uh, I benefit from that I'm giving you, you the uh, references. But it's cheap. Uh, literally, anything's cheaper than being hacked. But uh, because you can lose your business. Uh, you, were, you were fortunate in that it didn't take you down. 60, I think it's 66% of the businesses in the SMB market do go down. So as a result uh, of hacking, as a result of hacking, Oy clients they. don't, yeah. a lot depends data, on what data and Goliath. Data and the Goliath, by the way, is you're right. Bruce Schneier, S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R. Excellent. Thank you. Way too many vowels in that last. Yeah, I agree. Last, <laughs> last half of that word. <laughs> got to fix that. So, um, and Kevin Mitnick, uh, I was just mentioning, he's got several books out, um, uh, anything by him, M-E-T-N-I-C-K, I think. First name's Kevin. Uh, so uh, it might be M-I-T-N-I-C-K. So uh, there's all kinds of resources. It's just most people don't want to live there. They don't want to think about the stuff. It's not that hard to do. Um, have a great antivirus. Um, and again, that's not expensive. Uh, you're, there's excellent companies. Uh, Google, Google will tell you ratings on just about everything. So, so what are the 10 best VPNs? What are the 10 best antivirus uh, software? And they'll take you to Bitdefender and Webroot and Norton and all the rest of them. The point is you want something that'll work for you automatically so you don't have to think to run it. Uh, if, you're, if you're using the free stuff, well, you're not going to have all the bells and whistles. And I always tell clients, don't use the free stuff. The, the good stuff is cheap. Just spend a few bucks. Once again, you're 50 bucks a year on most of that stuff. So it's, of course, it's more for a business, but, uh, but it's not that expensive. And it's far less expensive than being hacked. We, I, I have almost taken us out of time. <laughs> you interviewed me almost as much as I did you. You get me talking about this some stuff. Good, good stuff in there. It's hard not to. <laughs> so, um, all that said, uh, I want to thank our, uh, our listeners and viewers today. Dave, uh, it has been a joy uh, talking to you, getting to know you better, and I, I love what you do. It's, a, it's one of those specialized markets that most people don't think about, but how valuable that is. Uh, it, it helps us grow. And I, I was wondering, you brought up the coronavirus. We are in a, in a bad time right now. I, I trust we're all going to get through it, but... Uh, uh, Man, I, I, I hope that 
that things uh, settle down for all of us. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it is a incredible uh, experience to go through. The only thing I can think of that came even close to this was nine eleven, and yeah. already this is proving to be significantly worse from an economic perspective. It is, but it's the same kind of economic doom. Now, from a a, a mortality aspect, I think we've had sixty people die in the in the U.S. and mm-hmm. of course that's going to go up as the testing kits go out and and more time uh, uh, transpires. It might be 67. I heard this morning, don't remember. I think it was 67 deaths. Um, Or actually, I think that's just people that have contracted the virus. I don't know if we've had any deaths, come to think of it. I don't know. There's like 100 at this point. Uh, So uh, yeah, at this point, there's like uh, somewhere 180 or 200 that have contracted, well, been tested and contracted, verified to have had the virus. Yeah, no, I think you're right. There's like 40 in Seattle alone that have died. It ripped through a nursing home out there from what I understand. That's right. But anyway, I'm sick of talking about it. I don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you for being with us today. And one last, thank you, uh, thank you for one last time for folks that want to talk to you about uh, uh, Prop Fuel or, or just follow up on this interview. It's dave at propfuel.com. That's right. Great. Well, thank you everyone for being with us today. Um, All the best to you. Stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and uh, tune us in again. Thank you.